Hello sports fiends. Tune in this week to hear my take on current news, my surefire bets of the week, and why I think the NFL and its rule changes are the reason injuries are happening more often to players. Hello sports fiends, welcome back. Episode 10, let's go. Get hyped everybody. Um, I think I'm getting a lot better each time, so today I'm going to do three different segments. The first is going to be three big events and just main events that have happened so far uh, over the past week. Then I'm going to do my surefire bets of the week, which are always a lock, or at least 63% of the time they are. Uh, And then finally, I'm going to do my main segment, which will change every week, but uh, this week will be why I think the NFL rules have actually caused more injuries than, um, than protecting the players. Uh, which seems kind of ironic, but I'll you know give you that spiel later. So um, the first thing we're going to do is the, the three main events that kind of happened uh, over the past week. So uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm a, a pretty big Bucks fan. I am, grew up in the Tampa Bay area, and I kind of became a Bucks fan. Like wh- They did win a Super Bowl kind of when I became a Bucks fan, but that... That isn't. I didn't become a Bucks fan because they won a Super Bowl. Uh, I became a Bucks fan because that's when I started watching football. I was like seven or eight years old. Uh, you don't really follow football before that, or you don't have the attention span to. Uh, I still barely have the attention span to. So, anyways, uh, Bucks won the Super Bowl in two thousand three, which is fifteen years ago. Uh, their coach was John Gruden, who we actually traded for. It's one of the only coaching trades in uh, the history of football, and we traded for him. For Came from the Oakland Raiders, which is, he's now coaching for um, 15 years later, which is kind of funny how the world goes round. Um, so anyways, John Gruden plays his former team, the Oakland Raiders, in the Super Bowl. We win, I think, 48-23. Um, and then we've been to the playoffs one time since. So it's been a little depressing as a Bucks fan. Uh, the one time we did go to the playoffs, we lost in the NFC Wild Card to uh, the Washington Redskins. And to give you guys some background as to how old that was, uh, the three main players on offense for the Redskins at that time was Clinton Portis, Santana Moss, and Jason Campbell. Um, for anyone that doesn't know those names, that kind of gives you an idea how long it's been since the Bucks have been in the playoffs. Um, right now, Tampa Bay is 2-1. Just came off of a tough loss on Monday night to the Steelers. Uh, and Ryan Fitzpatrick's been leading the way at quarterback. He's been playing out of his mind. Uh, the reason Ryan Fitzpatrick has been playing or even had the opportunity to play is because quarterback... Former starter, James Winston, uh, was suspended for three games. So the first three games of the season, James Winston suspended. Ryan Fitzpatrick steps in. He's been playing lights out. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, he has thrown for over 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns in three games. And we're 2-1, and one, which uh, is pretty promising for a team that would have been happy to get maybe six or seven wins this year. So anyway... Uh, the question is, Jameis Winston's coming back. So who do we start? Do we start Fitzpatrick? Do you start Winston? I personally think Fitzpatrick's a no-brainer to start against the Bears this Sunday and moving forward. I'm a big fan of Winston. I've always backed him. I think he's an excellent leader. I think he's a competitor, and I think that he does have potential. Uh, he probably would have led the league in passing yards last year had he not been injured for three or four games, uh, assuming he kind of played through uh, the level he was playing at. And... Fitzpatrick's just playing so good, you cannot take him out. He has three 400-yard games, which is an NFL record, by the way. Three straight 400-yard games. Uh, Yes, he did throw three interceptions last week, but he did throw for over 400 yards and three touchdowns. He has 11 touchdowns and four interceptions on the year. Want to know some guys that don't have those stats? 
that aren't getting threatened to get benched, uh, guys like Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Cam Newton, just to name a few. So yeah, I know, I understand those guys have had a, you know, a little bit more longevity, but Ryan Fitzpatrick's been playing pretty dang well, and if he's playing better than those guys, I don't see any uh, reason why you would bench him. So play Fitzpatrick until further notice um, and see how that goes. Second major thing, Le'Veon Bell might get traded. So uh, there's been you know, the whole thing of Bell holding out. It looks like he's going to hold out as long as he can hold out, which is until uh, week 10, and that's come back week 11. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers aren't super happy about that, so they kind of said, hey, we're going we're gonna to just shop around and see what we can get for Le'Veon Bell. Um, I say get rid of Bell immediately. Get rid of him as fast as you can because each and every week that he sits, he's worth less and less. I think you have to get rid of him. Um, not just because it helps your team and you can salvage something, but also football's not the same with a player of his caliber, um, you know, sitting out. So, you know, there, there's certain guys in the league that when they're not playing, it's noticed and it's not the same. So I think that, you know, get rid of Bell. Um, let a Super Bowl team, let a team that can contend for a Super Bowl get Bell and sign him. Three teams that have kind of emerged, it looks like, are the Jets, the Packers, and the Eagles. I'd say uh, the Packers would be electric with uh, Le'Veon Bell on, the pa- on that team. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Jimmy Graham. The offense would be lights out and be unstoppable, honestly. Uh, so I think that the Packers would be really, really competitive in the, in the NFC. Uh, them and the Rams look like would probably face off in the, in the NFC Championship. And then um, the Eagles as well, another NFC team. Uh, I think the Eagles would be really good with Bell. I think that you probably would have to get rid of maybe a few guys because that backfield would be crowded. Um, but I think Bell and the Eagles definitely makes them more competitive. Obviously, Carson Wentz just getting back. You don't know how good the Eagles actually are. Uh, I don't think the Eagles would be better than the Rams even with Bell, but I think they'd be competitive. Uh, and then finally, the New York football Jets. Uh, the New York Jets, uh, that's more of a long-term play in my eyes. Uh, I think you got Sam Darnold. I got Kinsey you got some guys. I think that Bell obviously is very talented and helps that team. I think it helps them compete for the playoffs, but definitely not for a Super Bowl. Um, so I, I would love to see Bell move just because, one, you want to see him on the field, but, two, you kind of wonder how good is this guy. You've seen guys like D'Angelo Williams and James Conner play really, really well with Bell on the bench, and part of you wonders how good is Bell. Is Bell more uh, a product of the system, or is Bell really a special talent? I think Bell is definitely better than those two guys. I think he's definitely a top running back in the league. But let's put him on another team and see how well he plays. Um, DeMarco Murray was absolutely electric, led the league in rushing yards, moves over to the Eagles, is decent, and now he's bounced around and hasn't been the same since. So we've seen it happen before. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, you see Adrian Peterson... Uh, he's bounced around. Some of that's because of age, but he hasn't been quite the same. So you have seen players bounce around, specifically at the running back position, and not seen the same success. So I'm curious to see how uh, that affects Bell, and then obviously how it affects the Steelers moving forward. Final kind of news, this is from the NCAA. Uh, former Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant is transferring from Clemson. So uh, Kelly Bryant was the starting quarterback protege to Deshaun Watson, Play extremely well. I mean, Clemson's obviously been contending and competing in um, the college football playoff uh, even since Watson's left. But they get this stud, Trevor Lawrence, uh, true freshman quarterback, and uh, they kind of were playing him half and half. And now uh, that they've played four games, they decided we're going to go with Lawrence. 
Uh, Kelly Bryant, obviously, being the older player, thinks he's kind of gotten slapped in the face, uh, quote-unquote. And now he's, uh, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm transferring. So, I, and I don't disagree with that. I think he's a great player who can contribute to a lot of programs. I think that he could probably play, uh, be playing on Sundays. So I, I definitely don't disagree with his decision there since he's definitely not going to have any starting time anytime soon. So um, my advice to Kelly Bryant, I think my personal opinion, go somewhere where you can pad stats. Don't go somewhere where you think you can win. I know that seems super counterintuitive, but you're not going to be able to go anywhere where you're going to be able to win, Kelly. Um, there's only three other teams over the next few years that are going to be contending for national titles, and all three of those teams are set at quarterback. you got Alabama. Sorry, two attack of a lawyer is a lot better than you. Uh, you have Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, pretty good football player. Those two guys are Heisman candidates right now, so I don't see him playing either over either of those two. Finally, UGA, Jake Fromm. I'd say you can contend Kelly Bryant's better than Jake Fromm, but Justin Fields is sitting right there looking at his chops. So I don't know if that's an amazing situation to jump into. Um, you, I think your goal is to get to the pros, to get paid. It's not to win a title. Do what's best for you. Go to a team with a high QB need in a high-scoring division. Go, go to the Big 12. Pad your stats. Don't go to the SEC where they run the ball and the defenses are ferocious. I mean, the ACC... You can move, but the, the only issue is that you're going to be playing Clemson over and over, so you don't want to lose your former team. And, and to be honest, I don't see that many high-powered offenses in the ACC uh, besides a team like Clemson. So I say go out, go to, I mean, you can go to the Pac-12, go to the Big 12, go somewhere where you're going to just play and put up huge numbers. Um, and uh, to be honest, I, I think I do agree that with, with the benching of Kelly Bryant, I think Trevor Lawrence is has been better. Um, if you want to pull it up, drive by drive. Kelly Bryant's played 129 drives. Trevor Lawrence has played 122. So he's got seven extra drives. Kelly Bryant, 839 passing yards. Trevor Lawrence, 1,004. Points per drive for Kelly Bryant, 2.48. Points per drive for Trevor Lawrence, 4.22. Yards per play, 6.5 for Kelly Bryant. Yards per play for Trevor Lawrence, 8.23. Number of first downs, 4 for Kelly Bryant, 5 for Trevor Lawrence. So, I mean, Trevor Lawrence has been real good. Uh, I mean, yes, you can contend maybe the, the, based on some games it's, it's uh, skewed, but as of recent, I say, I say you ride with Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence has a much higher ceiling because this guy's a true freshman. He's played four games. Kelly Bryant's played... Uh, what close to over 20 games now so I, I think I think you gotta think uh I think he's played 14 games so I think Kelly Bryant obviously has to has to move I think you go somewhere big 12 Pac-12 go pad your stats buddy go to the pros show everyone that uh the job or the Dabo Sweeney made a big mistake so that's gonna be the end of the first segment uh, I'm gonna record the second one which is surefire bets of the week so stay tuned for that and then I'm gonna hit it off with my big story All right, Travis Bowen, stay tuned. Now that we've finished with our big events, let's get it to the surefire bets of the week, my five locks. So every week I'm going to give you guys five picks. I'm going to parlay those five picks. Hopefully one week I'll get it right. Uh, So far I am 62% against the spread and I am 0 for what, three? Uh, over four in my surefire bets. But have no fear because Travis Bowen is here. 
I'm going to give you them my, my locks. Let's get it. So, uh, first one, UCF versus Pitt. Minus 13.5 for the Fighting Knights. Uh, I think that this is definitely going to happen, uh, if not more. Uh, Pitt lost big to Penn State. Lost to UNC, who just got... I mean, UNC's not good at all. And they barely beat Georgia Tech, who's looked pretty bad as well. Uh, I think UCF is a very high-scoring offense, and they've averaged 50 points per game. That's a lot. Uh, UCF's at home. Pitt's given up 38 points per game. And I think that UCF will definitely be able to cover a two-touchdown two spread. I'm very confident in that. I think UCF will put up mad points. I think Pitt, Pitt's offense won't be able to keep up. And I think uh, it's going to be a track meet that Pitt's going to lose every single time. So I think UCF minus 13.5 versus Pitt is a lock for me. Uh, second one, we got Duke minus 4.5 versus Virginia Tech. Wow. When is the last time Duke has been favored in a matchup versus Virginia Tech? I think we're going to have to look back to find that one. Um, so Virginia Tech just lost to Old Dominion last week, for those of you that don't know, which is what I think is one of the largest upsets in college football history. Uh, star quarterback for Virginia Tech, Justin Jackson's out for the year. Duke's at good, and I think that they're a pretty good football team too. Got wins over Army, Northwestern, and Baylor. None of those programs are fantastic, but none of those programs are slouches. I think without Justin Jackson... And the way that Duke has been playing both offensively and defensively, I think the defensive line for Duke is strong. And I think that um, the quarterback play from Duke has been strong as well. I think Duke minus four and a half is an absolute lock for me versus Virginia Tech. Third game, we got the game of the week. Ohio State Buckeyes. Penn State Nittany Lions in a whiteout. So, what do we got here? We got Ohio State minus three and a half. I think Ohio State covers that. Maybe not easily, but I think they cover it. Um, I think Ohio State has a scary good offense, 55 points per game. I think Urban Meyer is best when he's upset. Penn State's offense and defense has not looked the same since last year with uh, Saquon Barkley. I know that has nothing to do with the defense, but maybe it does. Maybe since the offense isn't out on the field as much. Um, or, you know, having as like, long of drives, whatever that may be. Uh, sometimes the defense does feed off of big plays from the offense. Uh, Penn State's not passed the eye test. They struggled against App State, and they struggled for the first three quarters last week versus Illinois before throwing up a 42-point fourth quarter. Uh, I think Penn State has shown promise, and a whiteout game is always going to be intense and kind of a toss-up. But I think Ohio State, you have Dwayne Haskins, you have J.K. Dobbins, uh, you have... No uh, Nick Bosa, but to be honest, I think that Ohio State defense is you know kind of a next man up. They still probably they still have shown that they can be very very good and competitive. So I think Ohio State's going to score points. I think that their defense will be able to kind of hold Penn State, and I I would be surprised if Penn State would have pulled this game out. I think Ohio State wins this one by by more than three and a half. Uh, so Ohio State a lock as well. So far we have UCF minus thirteen and a half, Duke minus four and a half, and Ohio State minus three and a half. Moving on, the Big 12, Oklahoma State, coming off a bad loss. 17-point favorite versus Kansas. I'm going to take Oklahoma State here. I know Kansas has um, you know, been good, I guess, for Kansas standards, but I think they're still bad, and I think their record's misleading. Remember, this team lost to Baylor by 19, and I, and I know I just said Baylor's a respectable program, but I don't think Baylor's a very good program. Uh, and 
OSU just came off a bad loss to Texas Tech. I think that uh, teams that come off bad losses like that tend to bounce back and play the next game with a lot of fire. Uh, by the way, this team's beaten Kansas by 40-plus points the last two years. I know they're without Mason Rudolph, but I'm not really that worried um, because I just think that OSU's easily going to cover. They're playing an undermatched Kansas team. Kansas definitely might put up a fight early, but I think Oklahoma State pulls it away in the second half, wins by 20-plus uh, points. Last one. Final lock of the week. This might be the one I'm most confident about, to be honest. Uh, so we got Purdue minus 3.5 versus Nebraska. I think Purdue is definitely covering. I mean, Nebraska looks like one of the worst teams in college football right now, and Purdue is much better than the record shows. Um, the three losses are by a combined seven points, and they just beat a ranked Boston College by 17. They should have beaten a strong Missouri team. They had a call that was a catch that they had called an incompletion that cost them the game. And Nebraska, on the other hand, has three losses, and they're all pretty bad. 46-point um, loss to Michigan, and you lose to Troy and a Colorado team as well. I think the team has fallen off the rails. Uh, they're not going to get it together anytime soon. And Scott Frost is definitely going to need some time to get this, this thing back on track. I don't think it's this week. I think Purdue is very good and, uh, and very good in relative to Nebraska. Uh, and I think Purdue definitely covers here. So I think Purdue is also a lock. If you want my confidence in what is going to be going to cover versus not cover, I say my confidence goes as follows. I say it goes Purdue, number one, UCF, two. Ohio State 3, Duke 4, Oklahoma State 5. If there's a game I'd be wary of, it'd be Oklahoma State. Although, I personally think it's a lock. So those are my five surefire bets of the week. Stay tuned for the main segment. Why NFL rules have caused more injuries than help. Travis Bowen, out. Finally, the main event. Why the NFL and its rules have actually caused more injuries than health. So I'm going to break this down to you for you guys. and I'm going to go through everything and uh, just hear me out listening. Because obviously when you hear, what? NFLs, you know, they've had these stupid rules, you know. Um, and the reason that I kind of came to light is because I don't know for those that don't follow football, but the NFL came out with this rule recently that if a quarterback is sacked and the person sacking the quarterback lands or drives the quarterback on the ground, uh, it's a it's a roughing the passer. So the, we've seen some ridiculous roughing the passers. Uh, some that have been roughing the passers, some that clearly have not. Um, in the Monday Night Football game, the Bucks and the Steelers saw just a ridiculous amount of roughing the passers. Uh, we've seen a few you know controversial ones with Clay Matthews. He's come out and called the NFL soft. So I go, hey, you know what? Let's go do some investigating. Let's see if these, these rules that you know, are making the NFL quote-unquote soft are actually helping or hurting the NFL. So I did some research, and I'll let you know what I found. So first, let's talk about the change in the NFL. It's, you've probably heard this before, but it's definitely a passing league. To kind of reiterate that, there have been 150 players that have received over 320 carries in a season. Only five have been since 2012. Those players are Zeke Elliott, Doug Martin, Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell, and Alfred Morris. 
Statistically, that's 3%. So 3% of players have had 320 carries or more since 2012. And a few of those were darn knows close to 2012. So uh, it shows that it's clearly not a running league anymore, or at least there's not a bell cow like there used to be. Uh, the second one, 160 players have had at least 550 passing attempts in the history of the NFL. 56 since 2012. That's 35%. In a six-year period, 35% have uh, produced. That's a lot. Thinking about how long the NFL's been around. Uh, so clearly, more passing attempts are happening. Less rushing attempts are happening. Makes sense. Another stat that's going to kind of correlate with that is, let's look at receptions. 100 players have had at least 100 receptions in a season. 29 have been since 2012. So that means 29% of uh, people that have had 100 receptions or more have been since 2012, which kind of makes sense with the rise in passing attempts. Okay? Well, now let's look at some of the rules that uh, have kind of been made to help protect players. So, uh, you know, one, elimination of the chop block. Moving up the kickoffs from the 30 to the 35. Eliminating crackback blocks. Can't hit a QB low. Can't drive a QB into the ground. Defenses players have been expanded to wide receivers until they gain control. Quarterbacks after a change of possession are sliding. Kickers and punting Kickers and punters during returns, and defenders on crackback blocks. Long snappers have also been expanded into defensive, defenseless players as well. Shots to the head are made illegal. Helmet to helmet is made illegal. And lion are required to wear knee braces. Okay, sure. I mean, it makes sense. Um, you know, obviously, it, the quarterback one stuff, like you can't hit him below the waist. You can't hit him above the chest. And if you hit him in between the, the stomach and the shoulders, make sure you don't land on him either. So it's like, how the heck do you tackle that guy? But anyways, uh, so those are, you know, I would say eight role changes that have happened in a recent past to, that have been made to help, uh, you know, protect players in the NFL. It's the last five years. We're going to look at concussions. So in 2017, there were 291 concussions. In 2012 and 2013, respectively, there were 265, 244. Slight increase. ACL tears, 57, 2017. 64, 2012. So ACL tears have gone down. MCL tears. We have 151, 2017, 133, 2012. If you combine ACL and MCL tears, because I mean, you know, tear, you know, the NFL's not protecting the ACL but not the MCL. It's just that happens of what injuries are happening. The number of knee injuries, we can say, has gone up. It's not a lot, but it's gone up. Number of concussions, gone up. Definitely an argument can be made that maybe the number of concussions has been recognized more, whatever, but I think, I don't know. That's what the numbers say. And maybe you go, hey, five-year sample size is too small. I agree with you. So I said, all right, hey, let's go back. Let's look at 1996 to 2001, 2002 to 2007, and then 2012 to 2017, right? So 15-year sample size. So number of concussions between 1996 and 2001, between the preseason, the regular season, and the postseason is 787. The number of concussions between 2002 to 2007, 
758. So I've gone down. The number of concussions between 2012 and 2017 is 1,276. And if you want to take that against the first number, the 787 that happened in 1996 to 2001, that is a 62% increase in concussions. That is significant. And hey, you're right. Maybe there have been some concussions that weren't identified, blah, blah, blah. Let, let's say a 62% increase is a lot. So let's be generous. Let's say 40% of, of that 60% is because they messed up. They didn't know what a concussion was. Okay. We'll let the players go back in, you know, you let the players go back in, they shouldn't have gone back in. That still leaves a 20% increase in concussions. And you're telling me that with these rule changes and all of these things that there's an increase in concussions by 20% to be generous, but the numbers show it's 62%. I think that, that it has to be something that the NFL is doing. And I think that it's twofold. I think that one... The rule changes in two, more importantly, the increase in pads. I think that the pads have gotten better, obviously. Um, and that has, I think, caused players to be a little bit more reckless. You feel more protected. You feel you can kind of throw your body around more and, not, and be okay. You want to go somewhere where we don't see an increase in concussions? Rugby. Want to know why? Because they don't have pads. Who wants to lead with their head when they don't have a helmet? I'm not saying, you know, that the... The NFL should just get rid of pads altogether, but the increase in pads, helmets, and equipment, along with the increase in rules, caused the NFL to get quote-unquote soft. Want to know what happened before? If you ran across the middle and got jacked up, you made sure to be careful next time around. When you're unprotected, you need to be more aware of what's going on. You can disagree with me all you want, but the numbers don't lie. Mom always told you not to touch the hot stove, but the only way to learn is to, get, to touch it and get burned, right? The NFL is making... These ridiculous rules, like the one for protecting a quarterback, and they're actually having reverse effects. Not only does it hurt the integrity of the game, but it also has probably led to an increase in injury. It's almost like that super controlling parent who ends up having the most misbehaved kid. These guys are aware football is a dangerous sport. Let them play it. Let them learn. That's my take. I think the NFL needs to back off with some of these rule changes. And I think that the NFL needs to kind of reevaluate where things are at because clearly what they're doing is, is not the correct thing. You're causing the players to be scared to do something every time they, they tackle. And honestly, it's not fair. I mean, if you think about it, there's just a natural – when you're going to tackle a, a human being, you don't think about what you're doing. You just go, I'm going to get him to the ground. I'm going to tackle him. Now you have this like second – like doubt in mind of like what you're doing and I think that honestly that is what is causing some of these 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 injuries um so that's my take I'll take it to my grave injuries have gone up and the only thing that has changed I don't think that the the players are more injury prone now than they were before you would think that if anything with all the stretching technology and everything that they should be less injury prone but it's NFL has made rule changes and there's been an increase in pad technology. I, I don't know what else I can see that could cause more injuries. Um, running backs aren't getting the carries that they were before. So, I don't know. Why, why are running backs' lifespans the same when, hey, Emmitt Smith, Marshall Falk, Barry Sanders were getting 25 carries a game for 16 games. 
every, their whole career. Now you got like four guys that are doing that, and there's still guys going down with injury. So I don't know what to tell you. There's, the, the running backs are getting less carries. They're getting injured. Quarterbacks going back to pass. They're throwing it more. You're still seeing injuries. So you would think that the, that the running play would be the, the play that's probably the, you know, the most dangerous when you have you know, guys just running into each other um, and everyone's running into each other because you got to get the guy down. And you're either trying to block someone or trying to tackle someone or trying to get off a block. Whereas in a passing play, there could be times where you know, no one gets touched and the quarterback just throws it away. So I think that uh, you know, with the style of the game changing, you would, you would think that there would probably be less injuries. Um, but clearly there are more. So either maybe offenses should try going back to the run game. That would be kind of interesting to see. Or uh, maybe the NFL should kind of evaluate what's going on and, and go from there. So that's my take. There are my numbers. They don't lie. And uh, let me know what you think. Follow me on Instagram, at SportsFiends. Follow me on Twitter for news. Follow the Facebook page. I think I'm growing. I think that my content's getting better. And uh, give me some feedback. Give me a review. Love to see it. Talk to you guys soon. Travis Bowen out.